Electronics are wonderful when they work. <laughs> All right. I don't want to. Yes. <laughs> I got it. Now if I can get it to go where it's supposed to, we'll be doing good. There we go. Finally. <laughs> good evening. Once again, we are come on this occasion, as we know, to worship the God of heaven. And I might say, as we was, as Brother Joe was praying a while ago, for the fact of sunshine and rain, this afternoon we got some rain at our house. <laughs> so we got some rain, and that means the grass will grow, which means we'll have to mow it. <laughs> so we understand that. For the next three Sunday evenings, I want to look at a topic that is simply titled, Our God is Able. And when we look at that, we want to look at, we'll be looking at three different areas in which, in which our God is able, and we'll, as we look at each one, we will discuss it, each one at that time. But when we realize that we're living, as we say, 16 years into the 21st century, as we all remember when this century began, and, and everything, all the whole world was excited. A new century. We could put the 20th century behind us with the two world wars and Korea and Vietnam and others would all be a shadow of memory in history books. So the 21st century was met with enthusiasm. And so the world looked upon and says everything's going to be better. And through the 16 years we have proven one thing once again. That ain't true. <laughs> As a matter of fact, we could say in some cases things have become worse. And so when we look at ourselves 16 years into this new century, we must ask ourselves, is our God still able? Is our God still listening to us? Can He still do the things that are necessary to help us as we live life on this earth in this 21st century as we move forward? Will He help his church, wherever it meets, as it upholds the banner of truth. Those questions we need to ask ourselves because we look at ourselves in such dark times and we're beginning to wonder if God's even around or if He even is still listening. The thing that we all need to remember is this, that our God is not asleep. Our God has not gone off somewhere in the uttermost parts of the universe to hibernate for a while, to get away from things. He's not become dormant, nor has He become powerless. He's not elusive. In other words, that we are not able to find Him or wonder if He's listening to us. He is not absent when we need Him in our lives. He's still awake, He is still active, and He's still available. We are still, as the Hebrew writer tells us in Hebrews 4 and verse 16, we are still able to go before His throne of grace in prayer and obtain mercy and help as always in the time of our need. The psalmist said many years ago, and in the first verse of Psalms 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. You notice that was written centuries ago, but notice what the writer said, a very present help in trouble. It was true when the writer wrote this centuries ago. We read it now in the 21st century, and it is still true. Our God is still a very present help in time of trouble. 
And we don't have to ask ourselves what present means. We know it means right now. That He is with us this evening as we worship Him. He is here near us when we pray to Him. He is always and continue to be around. So the Scriptures continue to assure us, and always has, that our God is near, and our God still cares for us as His children, even though in this dark time in which we live in, we're beginning to wonder. But when we think of the awesome ability of God, and when we think that what, we, what He's capable of doing, we must remind ourselves of something. There is a difference between the behind-the-scenes providential work of God and in our lives and the openly manifested time when He performed miracles. We know at one time He miraculously provided bread from heaven for His children of Israel while they wandered in the wilderness. But today, He works behind the scenes. He provides bread for His children, but He does it through the natural processes that comes from tilling the soil and the hard work and the ingenuity of man to cause those seeds to be planted and to grow. And Clay knows what I'm talking about. Just putting it simple. He plants a garden, and He plants a seed, and what He plants come up with its beans, ochre, or whatever. He understands God is still working. God's still giving the increase, and He's giving an increase through the seed as clay toils in that garden to make it grow. So James 1.17 is still true. God still provides all the good things in life that we need. We live on the face of the earth. And also not only that, it's same true about miraculous healing. There was a time, as we look at Numbers 21, when one bitten by a poison snake could look upon a brazen serpent on a pole amidst the cow and be instantly healed. But that doesn't happen today. There's, no, there's not that going on around us. God doesn't heal us in that fashion. When Christ was on earth, and well as His apostles who followed Him and began preaching the kingdom of heaven from the day of Pentecost forward, performed many wonder, wonders and miracles and signs. What for? To first of all prove that He was the Son of God. He was that promised Messiah of old. They did it to let it be known to the world. They were men of God. They were His apostles. They had walked with Him. They had seen Him, and they performed miracles to confirm the word which they preached. But look around us today. That was fulfilled in the first century. We don't have that today. 1 Corinthians 13 makes that abundantly clear. We don't need signs and wonders in the 21st century because we have the complete will of God. But yet even now, we have through the, since back in the early 50s before, different ones who stood up and claimed, God's given me the power. I can heal. I have the ability to remove diseases. Well, if that really is true, as the old saying goes, there should be no hospital somewhere. None. If they could do it, we know the answer. I've said all along, the only ones they can actually really heal is hypochondriacs. That's it. And you know what I'm talking about. It doesn't happen that way today. Christians know and believe in miracles. We do believe that God performed these miracles of the past. We know why they were used and everything behind them. But God doesn't deal with us in that way. He is will, He can do it, but He's not willing to do it in this day because He has limited Himself in the things that He does in this 21st century. But at the same time, let us not ever think that God has been incapacitated because He's limited Himself what He's capable of doing. And that sometimes happens to be the problem. 
As Ephesians 3 reminds us, God still is able to do abundantly above all that we ever ask and think of Him. So we are tempting to glorify God when we come and worship Him. We attempt to glorify God in our everyday lives as we live on the faces in front of the world around us. We know our God is able. Our God is still able to draw all men to Him through the power of the Word of His Son. Was that not what Paul reminded us in Romans 1.16? It is the power of God that eliminates everything else for salvation. It is this mighty Word that is preached that does so. There is, that word is able to save the utmost. There, there is no limit nor stopping power to the Word of God. It's still sharper than the two-edged sword. It still cups deep in our lives and convicts and chasten us. It's still able to dry eyes and mend hearts of those who are hurting. It's still able to fulfill the promises that are found in His Word. It's still able to enrich our lives spiritually with peace and joy that is indescribable regardless of what's going on in our lives at the moment. We serve a mighty and powerful God. But let us not confuse His ability with His will. Our God's unchanging nature and sacred and enduring scriptures reflect His will. They instruct us. They bring us welcome hope. They bring us stability as we stand face to face with the realities and the problems of the 21st century. And it's through that word that this evening He will challenge us. Next week He will comfort us. Then the following week He will change us. Yes, Ephesians 3 is true. God is able to do far more abundantly than we can ever ask or think. We're going to take these three sermons from the book of Psalms primarily. And if we look at these, each one of these Psalms, they will give us an idea of understanding what our God is able to do in changing and challenging us to comfort us and to change us. We begin this evening with the obvious Psalm. Psalms 19 and verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. When we look at the skies, whether it is in the daytime, and then we notice it especially at night when we observe the stars and the moon as we observe them in the nighttime, what do you think when you see a sunrise or a sunset? Evolution? No. It's a creator. What do you think when you see the stars at night? Again, you think of a creator. When we look anywhere around us, whether in the skies above us or the earth around us as we drive or walk by, do we not see the handiwork and the fingerprint of God on everything? God spoke long ago a phrase which, if we think about it, still rings true today. In Psalms 46 and verse 10, he simply said this, Be still and know that I am God. What was he saying when he asked that, when he made that statement? He's telling us simply, as we used to say as all along through life, Stop! Smell the roses. 
We know what they meant by that. Observe nature around us. Telling us to stop and look at the beautiful sunsets. To stop and simply look around us and see how good God really is. Think about this. God did not have to create flowers, colors, rainbows. He did it because He wanted us to have these things at our pleasure and our enjoyment. God did it for us. Why? Because He is good. And when we think about this for a moment and consider all these things, we realize not only is God powerful, God is awesome. Now that's a word which we know has been trivialized by our society, but if you think about it for a moment, it still doesn't dismiss the fact that God who created this universe, the God who put all these things in motions, and He is awesome. And are we not to stand in awe of Him? In Psalms 33 and verse 8, remember he said, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. He is the Creator. The sunrise, the sunset, the flowers in the spring, the rainbow when it rains, these are reminders of the awesome ability and power of God. But another challenge He gives to us that many through all through the years do, have never really truly appreciated, and that is the beauty of the worship of God as we're doing this evening. The main reason why most don't, because they're not really in awe of God. They don't look upon Him in the same way. They look upon Him as somebody they need in a time of trouble as a crutch, and when things all go back well again, He's put off on the shelf. They don't pay any attention to Him. And a lot of times when they do come to worship, it's not right because they're more involved and more concerned about entertaining themselves than they are worshiping the God of heaven. Maybe this has occurred because we haven't really fully, at times, completely emphasized the reason why we are here. We are here to worship the God of heaven. He is to be the focus of our attention when we meet on this occasion. We don't sing songs to entertain ourselves. We sing songs to praise the God of heaven. Someone who stands before you to speak is not here to flatter you with the fact he's got great words. He is to preach the truth of God. This facility is not the church. We meet here to worship him, but we are the church. We come on this occasion to worship and adore the almighty God and praise him. Why do we do it? To remind us how powerful a God that we serve. Again, remind ourselves, He spoke and the world came into existence and formed by the power of His Word as the psalmist reminds us again in Psalms 33, 6 and 9. He breathed into the nostrils the first man and He he came to life because of the power of the breath of God. When we worship Him, we never should ever doubt one moment that our God is able to raise us from the dead in the judgment. He can. That God will judge righteously, taking all things into account. But to remind ourselves as we worship on this occasion, as we plead and beg as always, that our God is still able today to save to the uttermost. 
But there's another thing. We need to remind ourselves and ask ourselves by the fact from His Word He challenges us. It's not the great and mighty things that He has done. It's not the fact that He spoke the world into existence by His power of His Word and all things came in. We're going to set that aside for a moment. Here is the challenge to us. Does His Word still have any power in our lives in the 21st century? Psalms 19, we go down to verse 7 and verse 8. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Written again, centuries ago. But it's it's written as if it was written this very evening. What is it telling us? God's Word is able to convert us. His Word is still able to prick hearts. His Word is able to bring uh, prick the hearts of honest men and women to the, conv- uh, to the point of conviction they become a child of God and bring an enlightenment and an understanding and a joy in their heart and a peace that passes all understanding. In other words, His Word has a tremendous life in the life of a child of God in the 21st century. It hasn't grown dead, and it hasn't grown out of style. God challenges us today in His Word the same way Peter challenged those that would list Him on the day of Pentecost in chapter 2 and verse 40, to save ourselves from this crooked and perverse generation. He's still challenging us to do that. Look again as we begin the very first psalm. This one is my favorite. <laughs> Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. Our challenge from that psalm is this. Our challenge is this. Will we heed that? And will we grow? Will we prosper? And will we be fruitful? That's the challenge. And it will only happen if we heed what was said. Number one, delight in His law. That is, become a lover of His Word. Do we love God's Word? That's what we're asking ourselves. Do we delight in it? That has to be the first step. From that, we will learn to meditate upon His Word day and night, as the writer says. We will patiently grow and mature as we should day by day. We will become like that tree planted by the rivers of water. And in due time, we will be fruitful. That's God's challenge to us. In this 21st century, He's challenged us through this Word, through this particular psalm. Do we love God's Word? Are we willing to meditate it? Are we willing to grow? Why? Because today, as much as any other time in the history of the church, we need today more seasoned Christians. We need in this day that men and women who are patient, men and women who are persistent, And men and women who are children of God refuse to grow weary while doing the good things for the cause of Christ. And from that, we will be fruitful. 
the next challenge. Let's look at Psalms 127. It is in this psalm that God challenges to work with Him in the great and noble pursuits of everyday life. This is where we all find the greatest challenge and the greatest need. It examines three of the most prominent preoccupations of every human being's life. We spend a good deal of our lives building things. That is, the various enterprises of life. We spend time accumulating and strengthening our assets because we want security in our life. We spend time raising our families. In other words, we juggle what we call the three C's. Career, capital, and children. These things preoccupy us every single day. From that, it creates anxiety and worry and fret. Are we able to make it? Can we retire? Can we do our work? Is our job secure? Are we going to lose our job? Are we going to lose everything? And we fret day by day over all of this. And the psalmist challenges us through God's Word in this. This is his challenge to us. To trust the providence of God working behind the scenes in our lives in these everyday pursuit of career, capital, and children. Did we not mention this morning with the Apostle Paul that he truly believed what he wrote to his brethren in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28? That all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose? Why? Because we love God and he provides for us. Yes, his purpose may be different than ours, but we're challenged to trust him. We're challenged that things will work together for good because we show to the world we are lovers of God. We're challenged by this psalm to do that very thing. Look at verses 1 and 2. begins with this word, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Notice what the writer begins by saying. Unless the Lord builds. Unless the Lord is involved. The outcome, no matter how diligent we may be, how hard we may work, it will never be what it can be, nor what it should be. As the writer says, it becomes vain or meaningless. We are in a generation of independence. <laughs> even more so than ever before. We're in a time when we pride ourselves of being able to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. I have made my money myself. I have became independently wealthy because of this, that, and the other. Look at what all I have done. This psalm is telling us, challenging us to learn, to look at God as our co-worker and God as our helper in every endeavor of life. Why? Because after all, God is the ultimate sources of all blessings. He is the source. Our challenge is this. Do we believe it? James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, 
coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Do we believe it? We spend a lot of our time creating and conserving. We build careers for ourselves. We build business projects, portfolios, and we accumulate the assets that we collectively need to build our families and our communities and our neighborhoods and our cities. We have long hours of rising up early and staying up late, fretting over things of which life can consume us. We worry and fret every day. And the writer is telling us, I am not opposed to hard work. I am not opposed to being industrious. I'm not imposed of making money and, in, and building your family and others up. I am telling you this. When you attempt and to pursue these things without the help of God, it is a total vain waste of time. We must learn when we do these things to involve the God of heaven. But someone will raise your hand and say, oh, wait a minute now, wait a minute, whoa, 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 you're not right on that. I know a lot of people who's made it, who has done, who has done exceptionally well with their lives and their businesses. They've accumulated, they're financially comfortable, they don't have to worry about anything, and they did it all by themselves and they did rely upon God. Let me ask you a question. Without God, what are they worth? What did Christ ask the immortal question? What shall it profit a man? If he gains the whole world and loses his soul. The psalmist recognizes the folly of needless worry and anxiety. The antidote, he says, to these restless and sleepless nights is to trust more in God's providence and acknowledge the fact God is my helper in everything that I do in this life. Do you believe? And I'm asking those outside, do you believe that God is able to help you? That God is able to work with you in the great building projects of life? Do you believe it? Now stop and think just for one moment. What are the things, we might say some of the things, that you have tried for your, to do yourself and tried to build and accomplish without the help of God? Again, I'm not asking those outside. I'm talking here. How many have tried to do it without the help of God? Is it not true what the psalmist just said? The best plans in life will fail unless God crowns them with success. Think of the peace of mind that is ours when we acknowledge that God is number one in our lives. That's what He's challenging us to remember. That He's first in our lives and everything else will fall into place. But in the same 127, he continues to mention what we would call the greatest assets in life, our living ones. Verse 3, he says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame 
when he speaks within speaks with his enemies within the gate. Why do you spend your time working, accumulating, putting back, and saving? Is to take care of your family, is it not? Is that not really the goal that you want to provide and take care of those, your wife and kids? Is that not the reason why you're there? Why? Because you know they are your greatest assets. The children bring happiness. They lift the spirits. They bring us joy in our older years. You see, unlike the world... The children and the grandchildren are not ashamed of us. They will defend us before anyone. But remember this though. They come to us as our greatest responsibility. And the writer made that the priority. Yeah, we may wonder when when a child is born how we'll feed and clothe him. We do wonder about that. We remember what the psalmist said that been young and old and I have never what seen the righteous forsaken or the children ever begging for bread. He made a powerful point, did he not? When he stated that children are the heritage of the Lord. We need to view them as what they are. Gifts from God. And when we remind ourselves of that and look upon them in that that in that way, that they are gifts from God, then we truly understand our responsibility to care for them, to help them, to train them, first of all, to learn of their Creator and their responsibility toward Him. We all know, if you put an arrow and a bow, that arrow depends upon us to hit the mark, does it not? It can't do it by itself. Is that not the same thing true with our children? We need to aim carefully. We need to aim prayerfully as we take them, as it were, from the quiver and send them out into the world. But remember this. Do not do it aimlessly, nor do it with little force. With all the might and the power that we have. Let us send them out into life hurling toward the mark of excellence that allows them to be all that God intended because we treated them as our greatest asset. We loved them and we trained them in the nurturing admonition of the Lord. That is God's challenge. You see, God is not only able to challenge us in these things, but so many others. But this evening, He is challenging us through His invitation. If one's here not a child of God, His challenge is to you to listen to His Word. That almighty, powerful Word is still able to save to the uttermost. That Word has not lost its power. In all of these years, as long as this world stands, that Word will continue to have that power. To heed it this evening. To come of a life repenting the way you've been living. And Christ Himself said, unless we repent, we're going to perish. 
Here's the opportunity. God's challenged you to respond. Confess that He is the Christ. And we know from Romans 10, 9 and 10. Come. Being buried in baptism, raised to walk that new life. As Peter told those on Pentecost when they cried and asked Him, what must we do? Have your sins washed away. That's God's challenge this evening to you. To a child of God who strayed from that truth, your challenge to you this evening is to come home. He stands in the road. He begs. He pleads. He wants you to return to Him. He loves you. His love is never diminished. His challenge is come home. Ask for forgiveness. And He's promised you He'll do that very thing. Think about that while together we stand here while we sing.